<laughs> it's okay to laugh, just so you know. In church, it's okay to laugh because God created laughter. Not sure if you're aware of that. Um, he doesn't want us to be silly and foolish all the time, but he does want us to enjoy each other's company, right? And it's okay to laugh. So if you feel to laugh, laugh. But if I fall off the stage, don't laugh. <laughs> Call 911 if you know the number. If you don't know the number, ask somebody. Um, because they could probably call it. Uh, so you can tell I'm very serious all the time, and that's good. So, are you ready to hear the word this morning? All right, I hope you brought your Bibles. BYOB here, bring your own Bible. Um, I'm going to start with one scripture. I'm not going to have you open to this one. I just want to kind of throw this out there for you. Psalm 20, verse 7 says this Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. How many trust in God today? All right, that's, I guess we could just say amen, and we could go home then, but we're not going to do that, right? We need to get fed every time we can, not just on Sundays. You know that, right? You're supposed to be reading the word during the week, because you wouldn't go from Sunday to Sunday without eating, right? That would just be foolish. We don't want to do that. Um, so make sure that you're in the Word all the time. But we trust in the name of the Lord. Today, I'm not sure if you're aware of today, today is May 5th, Cinco de Mayo, which means May 5th in Spanish. So some people, when they think of Cinco de Mayo, they think of chips and salsa, they think of tacos and burritos, right? You're all thinking, all right, let's get this message going because now I'm hungry, Some might think in their past of Corona beers because that's how Cinco de Mayo is advertised, right? It's about tequila and beer and chips and salsa. If you were to ask me last week what Cinco de Mayo is, I would probably say I think it's Mexican Independence Day, which if I was on Jeopardy, it would be wrong. The answer is wrong. Mexican Independence Day is in September. You may be thinking, why is she talking about this? Bear with me, all right? I'll get there. So Cinco de Mayo actually commemorates a battle that happened in Mexico back in the 1800s. Let me set the stage for it briefly. In around 1860, Mexico was in financial straits because of the Mexican-American War. And they went to England, and they went to Spain, and they went to France asking for money. And those three countries gave money to Mexico so that Mexico wouldn't be completely annihilated. Well, around 1861, the leadership in Mexico said, you know what, we're not going to pay our debts. I don't know about you, but if I don't pay my debts every month, they come, they shut off the electricity, they want to evict me, right? So Mexico tells these three countries, you know what, we're not going to pay you right now. They just stop paying their debt. Well, you, ha- you can imagine, those countries were not happy, right? All three countries sent troops to Mexico. But England and Spain were able to talk it out with the leadership in Mexico. They made an arrangement, and then they went back home. But not so much with France. France thought, you know what? We could come against Mexico, and we could make that one of our territories, And so because France was big and strong at that time in 1861, 1862, now we're moving into 1862, 
they had one of the strongest armies in the world. They were known for the strength of their army. And they came with between six to 8,000 soldiers to Mexico. And they showed up in this town called Puebla. Puebla. They showed up because they figured, you know what, Mexico, this is going to be easy peasy. Because Mexico only had about 3,000, and I saw the words, ragtag soldiers. Meaning they weren't really that great. They would stand there, but they're not really that great as soldiers. But the people that were really smart that were running this army in Mexico decided, we're going to fortify our town of Puebla. Fortifying means, you know, make sure there's no secret way that the French could get in or um, just making sure that every area was covered. On that day, May 5th, 1862, in the Battle of Puebla, something happened that no one imagined was going to happen. The underdog, Mexico, won the battle against the French. Like the French had twice as many soldiers but by the end of that battle, Mexico won and France went away. They retreated. So Cinco de Mayo celebrates, commemorates, remembers that day when this underdog who was going against the impossible, it was an impossible win, and yet they won the impossible. And so they commemorate that day today on May 5th. So it got me thinking there must be something in the Bible, maybe that has a story similar to that. So I thought about it, and you know, I thought, well, maybe, let's see, David and Goliath, remember little guy, five stones, big guy with all sorts of armor, right? No, nah, we could use that one, but a lot of people know that story, so yeah, I won't do that one. There's probably some other ones in there, but I really felt like the Lord wanted us to talk about Gideon today. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, open up to the book of Judges. If you're not sure where that is, there's the first five books of the Bible. We know the Pentateuch, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, those five. And then there's Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Joshua really shouldn't judge Ruth, but that's the order the books go in. Joshua, Judges, Ruth. It's always a good way to remember them. So we want to go to, to Judges. And let me just make sure that we're on the same page as far as history as to what's happened in Israel up to this point. We know that uh, the first five books of the Bible are all about how the Israelite nation formed, right? And they ended up in Egypt. They ended up in Egypt and things went really well for a very short period of time. And then we know that they became enslaved to the Egyptians, right? The slavery was horrible there. And then God, they cried out, and God raised up a deliverer. His name was Moses, right? And Moses led the people out of Egypt to the promised land. But because Moses was disobedient, he didn't actually make it into the promised land. Like, he made it right up to the edge, and he could see it, but God wouldn't let him go in. Right? And we know that Moses climbed up that hill so that he could view the promised land, and then that's the last we hear of Moses. And so his next in command comes up, and that's Joshua. And Joshua was the one that was prepared to take the people into the promised land, to do 
to deal with all the battles and the strategy that needed to happen in order for the Israelites to come in and take over that land from all the other ites, the Jebusites, Hittites, Amorites, all the ites, right? Joshua knew how to do that. But then, spoiler alert, at the end of Joshua, Joshua dies. Sorry, hopefully you'll read it anyway, even though I just spoiled it for you. Joshua dies, and then it's the beginning of Judges, which is the book that we're going to be in. And one thing we need to realize about the book of Judges is that there's this this pattern that occurs in the book of Judges, right? Like at the very end of Joshua, I already told you, Joshua dies. Well, then the people are stuck. They all of a sudden have forgotten everything. Like they don't know how to function. And so the Bible clearly lists this pattern out and says, they began to do what was right in their own eyes. That's a dangerous place. I don't know about you, but when I do right in my own eyes, I get in trouble, right? And that leads to sin, and sin leads to consequences, and it's just a bad situation. And so in the book of Judges, it says, the people began to do what was right in their own eyes. And we know sin, anything that breaks God's command, Sin has consequences that come with it. And so God had to send in punishment, for lack of a better words. And oftentimes God would use another country to punish the Israelites. Right? He would send in these people that would oppress them, would go into battle, would do all these things to the people, oppress them horribly, until finally they would cry out to God. They would get so desperate that they would cry out to God. And God would turn his back on them and he wouldn't listen. Oh, no, wait, that's not true. I'm just making sure people are listening and awake, right? If we cry out to God, he does not do this. No, he's like, what? You're calling out to me? He immediately turns. And it says in Judges he would raise up a deliverer or a judge, a leader, to come in that would have the strategy that would be able to kick out all those people that were causing problems. And it says in the book of Judges, again, in this this cycle that's happening, that there would be peace in the land until the judge died. And when the judge died, the same sequence happened. And it goes through, over and over again, through the book of Judges. So coming into chapter 6 here, when it starts to talk about Gideon, it's the same cycle that's taking place here. And so I just want to read, I'm going to read, gosh, like 16 verses or so, but you can bear with me, you can read along. I'm going to read from the New International Version. Uh, If you have another different version, you can either read along or you can just listen to me. So Judges chapter 6, verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza 
and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Verse 7. When the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. Verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak of Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and has put us into the hand of Midian. Verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Verse 16, the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. I really like verse 16 in the Good News translation, which says this, you can do it because I am with you. You can do it because I am with you. The word the Lord has for you today is you can do it because the Lord is with you no matter what the impossible situation is. Now, I'm going to skip a little bit um, over a little bit and we're going to come back and talk about Gideon in a minute. But you probably have all heard about Gideon before and he goes against an impossible odds. We know that the Midianites, there's so many of them you can't even count them. Could you imagine that, being in a place that the enemy is so strong and there are so many that you can't even count how many are there? And yet Midian, this guy who is a, finger quote, mighty warrior, has to go up against them. Midian starts with 32,000 people against an army that you can't even count. And God says to him, you know what, that's too many. I'd be like, Lord, have you tried to count those other ones? Now, the Lord could probably count them. I get it. But 32,000, the Lord says, you know what? If there is anyone among your soldiers that is scared, afraid to go into battle, tell them that they're released, that they can go. (laughs) And Gideon, I imagine, is like this. Okay, if any of you are scared or whatever, you can leave. 22,000 people left. He's down to 10,000 people against the army that had how many people in it? You can't count them. There's too many. It's impossible. And then God says, you know what, Gideon? 
you still have too many. I would be like, what? That's my translation. What? So God then says, you know what? We're going to ask some more to leave, and it's all going to be contingent upon how they drink water. If some get down on their knees and put their face right in the water, or if they cup it and then lick it like that. That's how I want you to separate it. Those ones that cup it and bring it up, I want you to keep them. Send the other ones away. 9,700 soldiers leave. Gideon's left with 300 against an army of, you can't count them. I would be freaking out. Anyone else be freaking out with me? But remember, we trust in the Lord. We said that at the very beginning. Spoiler alert number two. Gideon wins. All the Midianites are dead. If you haven't read the story, you have to go back and read the story because it is amazing how it happens. They don't even have a knife, a gun, an arrow, or anything. They have a jar, a torch, and a trumpet. And they win because God was in, in control of the whole thing. And Gideon knew it. Even though he's not really a mighty warrior. See, in the very beginning when it says that the angel of the Lord came, he sat under this tree and he looks over at Gideon, right? It says that in verse 11. And it said, Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine... Wait a minute. Does anyone have a pen? I've got to cross this out. That's a misprint. It says that Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. That can't be right. The editors must have missed it. He should be threshing wheat on a threshing floor or making wine in a wine press. But it says that he's threshing wheat in a wine press. Hmm. That's interesting, don't you think? Do you remember earlier it said that all of the Israelites were hiding from the Midianites up in the caves? And it said that when the Midianites came in, they destroyed all the crops and the livestock. Yet you got to feed the people. So Gideon had found some wheat. But if he took it to the threshing floor, which is typically, now I am no farmer. Let me just put that out there. But from what I've read and understand, a threshing floor is higher. It's on a hilltop. And it's a floor. And you take the wheat and you beat the stuffing out of the wheat. Well, you beat the wheat out of the wheat. You beat it up, and then you take the equivalent of a rake or a winnowing fork, and you stick it in there, and you throw the stuff in the air, and the wind comes in, and it takes the chaff, the part that doesn't matter, the light stuff, all the trash part of it, and blows it away. And the kernels of wheat, which are heavier, drop to the ground, and then you can collect them. But think about it. If Gideon had gone to the threshing floor, and he threw those up, and the wind came and blew this dust, it would be the equivalent of Gideon sending smoke signals to the enemy who's going to see him and come and kill him or do whatever. He can't do that. So Gideon hides in the wine press. And the wine press are these two big holes. One is higher than the other. And the whole thought was you put the grapes up top and you squish them and the juice comes down a, little, like down a little tunnel into the bottom, and they collect it for the wine. So Gideon is hidden 
in this hole in the ground, and he's squishing the wheat, which makes it a lot harder for him to grasp the kernels from it. But he's a lot safer. And he's hiding there. Yet when the angel of the Lord comes, he says, Oh, you lazy coward. Right? Isn't that what we read? Oh, you chicken, you big chicken. No, that's not right, right? The angel of the Lord says, Mighty warrior. God calls what is not as though it were, right? He calls us how we can act if we're with the Lord, right? How many times have you felt like you were, weren't qualified for whatever it is God's asking you to do? I don't know, sometimes I look in the mirror and I see a picture of a frady cat, someone that's scared to death when really God wants me to see a lion in the mirror. Because he knows that if I'm with him, if I'm living for him, if I have a firm foundation set in the Lord, I can do anything because nothing's impossible for God. And so even in this passage, the Lord sees Gideon, yeah, he's hiding, but you know what? The more I thought about it, the more I thought, everyone else is hidden in the caves, yet Gideon comes down. He risks getting caught so that he can get food. That makes him kind of courageous, don't you think? That he would be willing to do that to provide for himself, and I'm assuming, the Bible doesn't say it, but I'm assuming he's providing for his family as well. But I think... Gideon responds probably like I would and maybe some of you, although you guys are probably more spiritual than I am. He responds like, the Lord's not with us. Do you know that if the Lord was with us, this wouldn't happen. Midianite would not come and oppress us for seven years. Seven years, that's a long time. Gideon and Midian, they rhyme. Isn't that cool? Gideon, Midian. I got to be careful. Gideon, all he's thinking about is how can the Lord be with us if this is happening to us? If our circumstances are that bad, how can God be with us? But he has a disconnect. Because if we're living right, if we're living holy lives before God, he will be with us. Right? If we're not living holy lives, He can't be with us because if our unholy lives means that there's probably sin involved, God can't be around sin. His presence can't be with us. So Gideon is missing the fact that they're not living right. Not to mention, it says, right after he gets this call that he goes and he tears down the uh, altar to Baal that his father made and the Asherah pole. Those are all idols. On his own, in his own house, because his father had them. So there's a disconnect. He's not getting the fact that I need to live for God. And if I live for God, no matter what happens, doesn't mean our lives are going to be perfect. But if I'm living rightly with God, he will help me through, and nothing is impossible for him. Again, it doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect or easy, But it means that the God of all creation is going to be right there because he has promised never to leave us nor forsake us. Right? I read that somewhere. 
Not sure. It's in some good book. It's a really good book. Oh, yeah, it's the Bible, just in case. I didn't want anyone to get lost there. So Gideon freaks out, saying, God's not with us. And then the angel of the Lord turns to him and says, you know what? You're the one that's going to go to the Midianites. And he's like, have you seen me? I am from the weakest clan in Manasseh. And I'm the youngest in my family. How can I do anything good? But you know what? God looks at the heart. And there was something in Gideon's heart that said he could do it. Now, that doesn't mean that Gideon just jumped right up and said, okay, I'm going to take on the Midianites because we know. He says, well, Lord, if this is really you, I'm going to take this piece of wool and put it on the ground. And if it's really you, if you could just make the dew happen on the wool piece and not on the ground around it, right? Next morning, he wakes up. It's wet with dew. It's not just wet by like a drip drop. It fills the whole bowl of water. That's pretty convincing, right? That God is with him. But he's still so nervous. He says, uh, uh, forgive me, Lord, but if you're really with me, if you really are going to hand over Midianites, the Midianites to me, could you do it differently tonight? Like make sure it's dry on the piece of wool and it's wet around it. God did it that night. It's like, hello, Gideon, I am with you. I have told you that I'll do it. All I'm asking you to do is go. I'm going to go with you. You can do it because I am going to be with you. And so Gideon finally goes. But God even understands that even in our willingness to step out, we still can be scared. Right? I don't know if that happens to you. There are times that God's asked me to do things, and I'm like, <laughs> I don't think so, like talking in front of people. Yeah, it's scary. When I was in elementary school, middle school, high school, I was terrified to talk in front of people. Terrified. I would take a zero instead of having to get up and talk to somebody, all because in, like, fifth grade, um, people questioned me on my, my report that I did. They asked me a question. I was doing it on Saudi Arabia, and they asked me, what's the, the main export of Saudi Arabia? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. And they're like, oil? Never since then have I wanted to talk in front of people. But God delivered me from fear. And even sometimes when I'm still nervous about talking in front of people, one of my mentors growing up once I came to faith in Christ, she said, you know what, Annie? Do it afraid. Don't step back. Step forward and do it afraid, knowing and trusting that God is going to be there and he's going to carry you through. That was good. So that's free. Anyway, so Gideon goes. He's ready to take on the Midianites with his 300 soldiers. And they have how many soldiers? You can't count. Too many to count. And God says to him, because God knows his heart. He knows that he is still scared. He says, you know what, Gideon, if you're still nervous about this, why don't you and your servant sneak down into the camp? Remember, this camp, you can't even number how big this camp is. He goes in at exactly the right spot to that camp. He passes a tent, and there are two guys that are talking. And one of them said, I had this dream last night. It was the weirdest thing. I dreamt that a barley loaf 
rolled down into the camp and landed on a tent and demolished it. If I was there, I would have said, did you have pepperoni pizza last night? Because that probably would have explained the barley loaf. But no, the guy he's talking to says, ah, that's Gideon. How do you get Gideon out of a barley loaf? Like you can't even mix up the letters of Gideon to make barley loaf. But he says, that's Gideon. Remember who Gideon is. He is from the clan, the smallest clan in Manasseh, and he's the youngest in his family. Yet the foreign people, the Midianites, know his name. How is it that they know his name? If he is a nobody, yet they know his name. Oh, it's Gideon, and he's going to come in, and he's going to kill us all. Think about the timing on that. He has to come into the camp in the right place, come up to listen to these two random guys at the very time he's talking about a dream he had last night and the interpretation. If you don't believe God's the God of the impossible, just try to wrap your head around that. Like how many times have you walked into a into your kitchen and your family is there and you walk in and they say something like cheese puffs. You've missed the entire conversation and you catch that one thing. Yet Gideon sneaks into the camp and hears that. But imagine what that does to his faith. Right? And then he goes back to the camp, the 300 that have the jar, the torch, and the trumpet, and says, let's just surround them, listen for me, and when we blow the trumpet, you do the same. So they cause such confusion in the camp by the trumpets going off that all the soldiers got up, ran around, and they ended up stabbing each other. They killed themselves, like they killed each other. They just went, stabbing each other. Gideon didn't have to do anything. Except once the rest of the Midianites were taking off, they chased after them. God is the God of the impossible. It's like that town in Puebla, right? Cinco de Mayo. It didn't look like they should win at all. Do you really think that Gideon should have won with 300 guys and no weapons? Against an army that is so big you can't even count it. God is the God of the impossible. And so I know it's, sometimes it's kind of hard for us to, to put that together today because we don't, well, we do have battles that happen out there. There's shootings and awful things that happen. But right now in Quincy, there isn't a major battle happening and there's not a Midianite army here. But you may be facing an impossible situation in your life. Maybe the doctors have given an impossible diagnosis. And there's no way that God could possibly heal that person. Or maybe you need a financial miracle and it's absolutely impossible. There's no way for me to work at this job every day and make the money to pay back what I owe. It could be that there, you need reconciliation in your family and it looks impossible. 
Or maybe you have a family member and you want them to come to faith, but they're really hard. Like, how can God even get through to them? But God is the God of the impossible. And our job is to hold steady. (laughs) Our job is to switch our perspective and see ourselves as God sees us. That we are lions. We're not scaredy cats. That he has put gifts in us that will reach the people around us. We might not have tapped into them yet, but if we're willing to listen to God, he will reveal that to us. He is the God of the impossible. And he wants to, Gideon says in there, you know, how can God be with us? He let the Midianites came in, and where are all the wonders? Where are all those things that The ancestors told about crossing the Red Sea, going into the promised land, the ark, like all these things, where are those wonders? Are those wonders happening in your life right now? And if they're not, why not? Does it mean we need to press in more? Or maybe it means we need to expect more. Like that we need to come in to this place not to get filled up, but come in ready to hear from God and to give out. Or maybe we need to do that in the workplace or in our homes. That we need to take it up a notch in our expectation. A few years ago, I went to a a conference in Atlanta, Georgia. It's uh, it's called Catalyst. Uh, Your pastor, Pastor Rennie, has been to the Catalyst conference before. It's a great leadership conference. And this was a number of years ago that I went, and the theme for the conference was Awaken the Wonder. And I thought, what a dumb name for a leadership conference. (laughs) Just being honest, sorry. (laughs) I'm like, Awaken the Wonder? But I love the conference so much, I thought, you know what? I'm going to go. So during the conference, you know, there are speakers that are talking about, you know, just kind of thinking differently and whatnot, but But what really struck me, and this is probably where you're going to think I'm a heathen or heretical or whatever, that's okay. Truly, I'm not. At least I don't think I am. Anyway, there was an illusionist that got up, right? Now, I know that people are mixed on how they view illusionists. But the guy, the, the stage was up there, but there was another stage that was behind me. He had already cut someone in half from the audience. I thought, that's really disappointing. I was here for the conference, and he's cutting someone in half. They didn't have to go to the hospital. He put them back together. But, but then he got up to the front, and this is the part that really hit me. He got up on the front stage, and in his hand, he has a piece of paper, right? And he's been folding it, folding the piece of paper while he's telling a story. And he begins to tell this story about how when he was a child, he lived in the southern state somewhere. I don't recall where, but somewhere in the southern states of the United States. And he remembers praying as a kid, oh, God, please let it snow on Christmas morning. Got so excited, he got up in the morning, he ran down the stairs, opened the door, and there was no snow. And he was really disappointed. But he also knew that he lived in the south, and for it to snow down there, it was kind of a big thing. It didn't snow. So the next year his family goes to his grandparents' house 
and his grandparents' house was north of wherever he lived, like several states north. And so on that Christmas Eve night, he prayed, oh, Lord, please let it snow Christmas morning. And he went to bed. Remember, all the while, the guy on stage is playing around with this piece of paper. He's ripping things off and whatever. So he, go, he prays that prayer. He goes to sleep that night. His mother comes in and wakes him up Christmas morning. I thought immediately in my head, what kid needs to be woken up on Christmas morning? I never had a problem with that. I was right down the stairs. But his mom wakes him up and says, Johnny, I think that's his name, Johnny, come downstairs. So he's like, okay, walks downstairs. His mother opens up the front door, and it's snowing. And he runs outside the door. He's so excited. He's twirling, twirling around in the snow. Then he realizes, oh, snow's cold because he has bare feet, and he's in his jammies. So he comes back in the house, ecstatic. The man on the stage is finishing what he's doing. He had poured a little bit of water in it. And then he's holding his hand in a fist, and he begins to wave it like this. And all of a sudden, little pieces start popping out of it. It's snowing out of his hand. It's popping up. Like, there's a ton of snow. There's no fans around it or anything. It's just he's waving it, and snows. And I'm like, I'm in the audience going, like, that's so cool. But then he looks up. This is a huge arena. He looks up, which, of course, if someone does that, what do you do? You look up. So he looks up, and I go, and I look up, and my mouth was, because it was snowing in the arena. I was so overwhelmed, but within me, it awakened that wonder of when I was a kid, and it snowed on Christmas morning. We need to awaken that wonder in us for those things that God has done. Even if we haven't experienced them ourselves. You know, the Bible says that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if he healed people in the Bible, he should be healing people now, right? If he did amazing financial miracles then, he can do it now. We have to awaken that, that wonder, that expectation that if God did it for them, he can do it for me. Right? Because at the cross, everybody is level. No one is better than anyone else. If God can do it for one, God can do it for another. So we need to raise up in our wonder and our expectation. We have to take our perspective and change it to see ourselves the way God sees us. Because let me tell you, when he looks out at each one of you, he looks and he smiles because he knows the gifts and the talents and the dreams he has in you. And he wants them to come alive. Today, let's believe for the impossible. But before we can even do any of that, we have to make sure we're right with God. Right? Because the Bible tells us that when we disobey God, when we break any of his commands, we have sinned. And the Bible says that sin separates us from God. And it says that the penalty of sin is death. 
but because God so loved us, he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty. He was without sin, the son of God. He paid my debt, and he paid all of yours. But just because he paid the debt doesn't mean that we have absolutely no responsibility, right? Because we have to come to him and ask him to forgive us of our sins and that the penalty that Jesus paid would cover our sins and make us right with him. And then ask Jesus to come into our lives and lead us and guide us because we can't make good decisions on our own, right? We need to see with his eyes, not do what's right in our own eyes. So we need to make sure that we're in the right place with God. And if you're not in that right place, today is the day for you. In a moment, we're going to pray. That's one group that I'm going to ask. If someone hasn't made that decision to follow Jesus, that today would be your day. But then there may be some in here that you're feeling like you're not seeing with God's eyes. You don't see yourself in the way that God sees you. And you want to change your perspective. Today's the day to, to make right with that. It may be that you need that wonder awakened in you of those things that God's done in the past, that he would do them again now, today, in our lifetime. That maybe you need that wonder awakened. And maybe it's just you want to take a step closer to God. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say this before I have anyone move. I'm asking that no one leave this room until God dismisses you. That means that when we go into a time of prayer, that you, wherever you're at, you pray to God, Lord, is there anything that you want me to do to respond to this message? And if he says, nope, you're all set, you're free to go. <laughs> but he has to say it just like that. No, I'm kidding. If he, if he releases you to go, then you are free to quietly leave. But otherwise, I want you to wait because I believe that God wants to talk to each and every one of us today. I believe he's got a message for each one. So I'm going to ask everyone if you would stand and I'm going to ask Tim to come. And um, I've asked Tim to play the song Build My Life because it speaks about building a firm foundation. And it speaks about putting your trust in the Lord. Remember, that's how we started off. And it talks about opening my eyes to see the wonder. And I'm also going to ask the prayer team if they would come up and just be here. I guess that's how you guys do it here. The prayer team would come up. And then we're going to pray. We're going to pray, and then they can play. And if you feel that you want to come up for prayer, then I encourage you to do so. If you don't feel to come forward, you just want to make kind of your own altar space at your pew, that's fine. I just want you to meet with God. I just want you to talk to him. So let's pray. And I'm just going to ask everyone to shut your eyes. It's just less distracting for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, O oh God. This is the day that you have made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it, O oh God. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us this morning, Lord God. That we would hear your voice and that we would know that we know that we know that it's you speaking to us, O oh God. Father, I pray for anyone in this room that may not have that intimate connection with you, that personal 
relationship with you, that today would be their day, oh God, that you would just have them come forward for prayer, and one of these uh, prayer people in the front will lead them to you, oh God, will guide them in how to pray, confess their sins to you, and ask you to come into their lives and change their lives forever, Lord. I know that because you did that for me a number of years ago, Lord. I pray for those that need encouragement today, Lord God, that maybe aren't seeing themselves as you see them, oh God. Father, I pray that you would reach down, Lord God, and that you would um, just tweak their eyes so that they would be able to see themselves as you see them, oh God, as a mighty man or woman of God in which you have placed gifts and talents and strengths in, O oh God. Father, may they know that, Lord, in you, O oh God. Father, I pray for all of us you would awaken the wonder, O oh God, that you would encourage us, Lord God, to believe for greater things, O oh God, that if you did it for all these people in the past, you can do it for us, and you want to do it for us, Lord God. So awaken that wonder in us. And Lord, I pray that you would challenge each and every one of us, oh God, to, to take a step closer to you, to take a step higher in you, Lord God, to, uh, to just make today be a new day, Lord, in which you challenge us, oh God. So Father, we, we ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus, and we ask, oh God, that you would just do them, oh God, that you would be as awesome as you are, Lord God, and uh, that we would be able to see and know what it is that you have, O oh God. So we ask this all in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. If you would like to come up for prayer, I just invite you to come. We'll sing this song. And, and then as the Lord dismisses you, you are free to, to go.